Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be discussing the two most recent, because we didn't do this last week, we're going to do the two most recent episodes of Evil on Paramount+. Plus. Before we get to that, very quickly, remember to drop us an email if you'd like to reach out to us, needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe to us on whatever app you listen to us on uh, so that you know when there's new episodes available. Loki is wrapping up this week. So there will be a bonus episode where I discussed with, uh, had a discussion with Ray about our speculation for the finale that I'll be posting in a couple of days. And then of course, the actual finale of the show. We'll be talking about that as well as doing a review of Black Widow, which just came out this week also, just a more MCU conversation. And of course, the music episodes continue. I just published yesterday a new episode uh, around the Apple documentary series, 1971, the year that music changed everything. A very seminal year for music. Some of the things that came out that year, you have Joni Mitchell's Blue came out. You have um, Sly and the Family Stones. You have, you, you name it, you have Al Green, you have What's Going On, of course, with Marvin Gaye, you have uh, Imagine, the Beatles, as a matter of fact, all the Beatles put out solo records that year. So an incredibly important year for music, and also just the societal shifts that were happening at that time. So really interesting documentary, once again, called 1971, the year that music changed everything, available on Apple Plus. And the first episode, by the way, available to everybody for free, you can stream it uh, through your Apple TV app if you have an iPhone or just on their website if you're curious to see that. And it was very good. And we'll have additional episodes digging deeper into that music of that time. So subscribe to us and you will get notified when all those episodes are available. I uh, just want to let everybody know that we are going to be, first of all, that Evil, if you've been watching Evil, Evil is going to go on hiatus in two weeks. I believe there's two new episodes and then it goes on hiatus for a couple of months, actually. Uh, and Sona and I will still get together and probably just talk about whatever we've been watching for a week or two in the middle, immediately after that, uh, because our next big thing that we plan to do is to recap Nine Perfect Strangers, which is coming out on uh, FX and Hulu. Uh, and this is based on a novel from uh, the same author as Big, Big Little Lies. Yeah. So it's the same author, the Australian author who wrote Big Little Lies. It's some of the same talent. Uh, David E. Kelly, I think, is the creative force behind it, just like he was for that show. And Nicole Kidman is a producer and star. Uh, it also has Melissa McCarthy on it. Uh, and my wife is currently reading the book, so she might come in and bring in some book perspective in, uh, to our episodes. Wow. And uh, that's starting in mid-August. So just kind of let everybody know that's going to be our next big uh, watch along. And uh, so if you guys want to read the book or not, I'm going to not read the book to watch it, like just, just as a show, but I would like to bring, cause I know the book exists. So I'd like to bring somebody in who has the book background to kind of do a compare and contrast. Maybe uh, oftentimes like a, a book will have like a whole theme, like a bigger theme that they can't fit into the story. So you kind of miss some of the, uh, that context. So I am curious to uh, get that feedback, but that is going to be starting in mid August. And um, like I mentioned, we will be, uh, continuing to recap evil uh, as long as it's on the air uh, for the next couple of weeks. And then we probably will just do weekly catch-ups on whatever we've been watching uh, to kind of buy a couple of weeks and uh, prepare for that next watch. But specifically to what's happening today, let's discuss the last two most recent episodes of evil. Sona's are here with us. Hi. <laughs> let's start with last week's episode. Last week's episode was called F for fire. And I'll give a very, very high level summary of this episode, pretty straightforward. We start off with the nun, Andrea, who uh, 
walks in on David looking at some the, this uh, codex that they have photographs of. She's like, how did you get your hands on that? And he said, can you help me with this? Because as a matter of fact, not only do we have a copy of this, but Leland does, and she doesn't like Leland. We already know that. So she helps him transcribe some of the um, notes that Leland had taken on this uh, codex. And it actually has an actual name written on it. And by the way, simply by transcribing different alphabets for each of the letters, it doesn't seem like quite a complicated um, uh, you know, uh, way to encode the these names, but it worked enough that David couldn't crack it. But she does, the nun does crack this. And that leads them to a child who uh, apparently their family had already reached out to the church, but the church had kind of ignored their request. There were fires that were starting in the home that the daughter was a foster child. The mother had also started fires and they want to know if there's anything demonic about the fires that are occurring in the home. And they do a, an investigation and there's potentially the daughter could just be a pyromaniac. That's one theory. The other one is that it could be something demonic. Another Interesting twist here is the fact that the mother is actually Muslim. Uh, so then it kind of, uh, and that brings in Ben's faith as well, or his lack of faith, but at least his culture. Uh, and then questions as to why they're not taking that aspect of this potential possession seriously. The demon, as far as we know, if it is truly demonic, is a jinn which is basically the, the myth of the genie, uh, more popularly known here in the West, is not necessarily a bad demon. It's just mischievous, but it could be good or bad, you know, basically depending on the desires of the person who is haunted. So that's kind of like the gist of the story. And then we'll get into more things. I'll, I'm going to actually open up the conversation now with Sona. I'm going to start in a completely different place. First of all, Kristen is horny in this, in this episode. As a matter of fact, we open on her having a sexual fantasy and we see it again later on, right? So I have two questions here. One is that this seems to be uh, they, they bring it up again in the most recent episode, right? So, so, so she is definitely frustrated with her current uh, circumstance. But more importantly than that, I would ask is last season and now this season, this show really has very little interest in Kristen's um, husband. Like, so why is yes. he even? Why is he even in this show if he's just going to basically not be around most of the time? Well, maybe it's supposed to be adding some sort of tension. I guess it's not as exciting that she's on the prowl if she's single anyway. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know about this whole storyline subplot, whatever you want to call it. I, I think first of all. It's really good that she got rid of the bangs from last season because those prim and proper yes. bangs were not going to work if you're a woman out on the prowl first. <laughs> Second, it buys into this idea that for some reason we're wearing cocktail attire when we go to pick up guys at bars, <laughs> which like, I didn't understand. Like she was definitely dressed for like clubbing. And then she's just at a bar having a drink. And so I living here in the city, I mean, that would strike me as strange, you know, yeah. and we see the second outfit she's going to wear too, was like this sequin coat dress yeah. type of thing where she changes yeah. her mind at the last second. I don't know why she has such a fulsome wardrobe of cocktail dresses, given that she's a mom <laughs> of four who doesn't seem to get out much. And again, you may be some judgment issues with how you dress to go out to a bar. Um, so I was distracted by all of those things in connection with the seductive Kristen storyline. Well, the, the weird thing about that, by the way, you know, not, not that I even judged her outfit that much, but you make a valid point because when I'm watching the show, by the way, if I'm at my local dive bar and this woman walks in, supposedly like, you know, almost like waking up in the middle of the night. So she's probably like, this is pretty close to closing time. Right. And uh, she's wandering in dressed like that. I'm thinking she's a prostitute. <laughs> yeah, maybe 
Um, or at least like, at least you're slotting yourself, I guess. And maybe this is what she's going for of middle-aged lady looking to get some. Yeah, so, exactly. Right. She's just, she's signaling, right. She's so maybe, that, I mean, it was very goal oriented. Maybe that, you know, right. she was just trying to achieve that outcome. <laughs> right. right. And she could have, right. But she doesn't. Hard work. <laughs> and, and this, by the way, it, but that's, what's interesting about it. I mean, not interesting maybe, but maybe why I have so many questions about it is it goes back to the idea that, so once again, she doesn't go through with it. So they, they're trying to make her the faithful wife. But I go back to two points here. One is, why do we keep, last uh, season with David, obviously being her temptation. Yes. It's like, why do we keep going back to this if it is not going to pay off in some way? Like in the end, she always is, you know, it would, in other words, it would be more interesting if she had hooked up with David and then her husband came back and now she's conflicted. At least there would be some tension there. But it's always her like holding herself back from doing this. It could be interesting if she had a happy marriage and then she still has this mm-hmm. tension, right? It could be an interesting character point. But it's not he like he's never around. Like why? Who well, is she? What is she faithful I to? Think it's extreme to say it's a not. It's an unhappy marriage. I think when yeah. they are together, together they are yes. happy. I right. think That's whatever. True. Every relationship has issues. I don't want to judge. No one true. really knows what true. goes on in a relationship besides the two people in it, right? But um, I I guess we're supposed to be wondering: Is she possessed by a demon that is right. compelling her? A horny demon. To, act this way is the gin involved somehow you know she keeps going back to her psychiatrist for adjustments in her medication maybe right. just something chemically is off so i guess they're leaving open the question of what is compelling her to act this way nonetheless i agree with you that with no payoff you can't get that invested in it yeah exactly and it, it, it's just i don't understand what the point of it is right like it's like last season they built up this sexual tension between her and david for a while yes. And yeah. then basically when it like kind of culminated, like what the, the one moment when I kind of feel like for the first time, I, we mentioned this in the last year's recap, but that mm-hmm. moment when they're out on the farm together and for the first yes. time where I kind of feel actual sexual chemistry between them, her husband just pops in. And it's like, <laughs> honey, I'm home. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I guess that puts a damper on all that. Screeching halt. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, uh, anyway, so I, I just, I, my question is not that, you know, she, wouldn't go on the prowl and wouldn't like the attention in the bar. And like, I'm not even saying that what the character does or that her meds are making her maybe more uninhibited and potentially, you know, once again, raised in this particular episode, the one where the second episode we're going to discuss in a little bit uh, that she may be hallucinating things as well, by the way, right? that uh, all that is possible and all legitimate uh, in the context of the show. I'm just talking about like, I don't understand what the show is trying to do. <laughs> it's my question. I'm not sure what all this is leading to. Like last season, all Same. that build up didn't lead to anything. So I'm just curious mm-hmm. to know where, where we're going with all this. Why even have her be married when, you know, multiple times last season and now this season, they could have killed him off. He could have gotten a divorce. They could be separated doing a trial separation. Uh, any explanation as to why he's gone. Uh, Lots husband, of people die at Everest every year. So. <laughs> exactly. They could have done this many times before. As a matter of fact, for a big chunk of last season, I'm like, he's not alive. She's just like easing the right. girls into this revelation. Right. And he shows up and it's like, I guess he is alive. <laughs> so it's just like, I don't understand what to show why they have him as a character if they're going to use him so little and not explore this, you know, uh, dynamic, this kind of absenteeism uh, in any depth. It's very confusing to me. Yeah. And I'm not sure the show knows itself, you know, I think sometimes they do things without really having thought out the payoff of it or the motivation behind it. It just seems like something interesting at the time, I guess, which, you know, a lot of shows do, but I think the ones that are really tightly constructed don't. 
Right. And more than that, if it was one single episode where she deals with this and then they move on, I'm totally fine with that. But this has become a theme in the show. And yeah. I'm like, why is this a theme if you're not going to explain right. it? Right. So anyway. right. and maybe they will. Maybe I'm just not giving them enough time. Maybe. So the second thing I wanted to discuss was actually just let's just talk about Ben in general. First of all, he is starting to believe his delusions. He even sets up a camera and, uh, and a voice mm-hmm. activation to uh, test that he's not losing his mind. Yes. And by the way, he uh, has a very bad experience this week too. We'll talk about as well. So yes. his, his mental, his mental uh, uh, health is might be fraying as it is. So I thought it was interesting that A, he might start to believe some of these supernatural things he's seeing. Obviously he does start, he is starting to believe that this is all in his mind, even though like, for example, the voice activator didn't go off. So you know, it seems to be that he's proving over and over again that this is um, a delusion or a dream, mm-hmm. and yet he keeps trying to get more evidence. So that that's interesting, and uh, also uh, that now uh, secondarily to that, or maybe not, maybe directly to that, he's also kind of jealous of the fact that this uh, demon is supposedly a jinn, and instead mm-hmm. of like addressing it Muslim faith as a framework, they're they're using still a Christian framework for this. And he gets a little annoyed by this, even though supposedly mm-hmm. he doesn't believe, right? So right. what did you, you think of all of that? First of all, just preliminarily, happy to see his sister again. Yes. Uh, that was nice. I still like her character. I still want to know more about her. I still want to see more of the two of them together. I enjoy it. That aside, I also like what we've talked about before with this series is that it does have the potential to discuss really deep ideas and issues. And I think one of those things is reconciling different faiths and how they go together or don't go together or contradict each other. And whether aren't we all really essentially believing the same thing? So what, why are we always arguing with each other, you know? And that gets touched on here with whether he is devout or observant or whatever word you want to use for it as a Muslim, he has a protectiveness of it, right? Because that's what he grew up with. And that's the belief system that he was introduced to first. And I like that. I like seeing that. I think that's very real that a lot of us, you know, myself included, don't consider ourselves religious, but that doesn't mean you want someone scoffing at what you were told to believe and what your family believes. Right. So I like that they were addressing all of those conflicts that I think most people do deal with in their everyday lives. And I thought it was kind of funny too the idea of, you know, the Muslim exorcism versus the Christian exorcism and like everyone trying to keep the upper hand. I, I enjoyed that as not just like as a plot device, but also, you know, as a deeper issue that is very real. Yeah, I agree. Even if he doesn't believe, although he might be starting to believe in some of this, but even if he does still not believe that it's kind of what happens to David today, I guess we'll, you know, we'll discuss that in more detail too. And David in uh, with this week's mm-hmm. episode <clears throat> where it's similar, where it's like, oh, well, we can't really talk about that. And he's just like, why not? Like why, you know, if this is thematically relevant in the example of this particular episode, if we believe in exorcisms, why do they have to be a certain kind of exorcism? Right. But then why is your belief so limited? <laughs> right. So, and I think he does see that kind of like a um, cultural bias in that, right. As well. Yeah. And that conflict is mirrored in the foster parents too, right. Yes, because exactly. the mom is Muslim and the dad is Christian and exactly. they're both trying to figure out how to deal with it and why should one get deference over the other aren't they both equally uh suitable avenues to explore so then uh so then the question i raised to you earlier in the week so cheryl so now she's going to the same psychiatrist intentionally she's misrepresenting her identity so that she uh, can get close to him so all this seems very very sketchy 
And then he gives her actual good advice. And uh, she mm-hmm. goes and talks to Kristen and has like now insinuating herself even more so in this episode, by the way, insinuating herself back into uh, her mm-hmm. uh, Kristen's life. But, and the reason that that's why I was wondering like, what did you, how sincere do you think her, but there are multiple shots in this episode, for example, when she goes, please, can I stay, continue to come see you to the psychiatrist? And he reluctantly agrees that temporarily until she, he can find someone else. Yes, they can continue this. But when she gives him this hug, it's like mm-hmm. we, we see her face. So mm-hmm. he's not seeing her face. We are seeing the face right. in the app. And she seems to be like. Uh, totally like, insincere. Yeah. Insincere or sincere? Insincere. Oh, see, I read it as she was being sincere. That's why I was curious to know. You yes, think it, so? Oh, I thought she was like turning on the waterworks for both the hug with the psychiatrist and the hug with Kristen. My sense was that she was like turning on the waterworks. And then when she got to that point and gave that hug over the shoulder, her face was just like, okay, check that off the list. Mission accomplished. It's oh, done. interesting. See, I read it differently. So I guess it's kind of like a Rorschach test. That's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is interesting. Because <laughs> that's what I, that that's why I wanted to ask you about it. Because I was trying to say like, did you read it? Yes, it yeah. That's why my response was, she's a sociopath. She may be possessed. <laughs> she may not be possessed. But at a minimum, she's a sociopath. <laughs> oh, see, so we read we read the expression differently. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah. There you go. So I guess it is open. So well, yeah, so it's a very open. But anyway, it, that's that. I guess it's clever that the show uh, left it that way mm. because I read it differently. So that's interesting. Very good. Also, the next thing you already touched on this, but I thought it was funny was the uh, like the tag team exorcism, which I found yeah. entertaining, where they're kind of doing it simultaneously. And then when, yeah. uh, you know, then, then it says like, you know, once again, like you trust the demon, but the demon's like the gin is gone. It's just me now. And the, 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 the priest is like, I got this one. I'm like, all right. Like as if the, the, the mischievous gin or whatever, wouldn't like, you know, whatever, try yeah, to. Yeah, I know. You definitely take the, the demon's word for it. Just trust whatever the demon says. Yeah. They know what they're saying. <laughs> Speaking of which, which I find interesting is, um, I, and I guess we could, well, well, I'll save it for the next one, but you know, we do see an exorcism this week, which, which is the ridiculous exorcism that they, anyone thinks of any of that, but it does make you wonder yes. if um, Leland is possessed at all, but I'll, that's a, we'll save yes. that for the next part of the conversation. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we also noticed that uh, um, we were in touch on this too, but we see that Kristen is self-medicating. Oh, and the last thing I wanted to ask about, uh, which I don't know how to interpret this, by the way, is the last shot of the episode. How yes. do you interpret that? I don't know how to interpret that. I was going to ask you, first yeah. of all, is that little girl outside her own house or is she outside Kristen's house? I'm pretty sure she's outside her own house. If I read, it I think so too, yeah. because mm-hmm. I don't think Kristen has that type of property. And you know, I've been watching the real estate in this show very carefully. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. I think it was her own house. So, I mean, I guess, you know, sometimes things, and I think this will come up later too. Sometimes I watch things and I feel stupid because I feel like this is mass media. Like, I should be able to keep up, but sometimes I can't. <laughs> so is the idea that the gin was passed on from her Correct. to Christian? Right. So theoretically in that last scene, she no longer has the gin, but somehow is telepathically starting this fire in the garbage can? Or did she literally, we just didn't see it and she lit a spark and threw the fire or put the chemicals together or whatever it may be. 
I have the same questions. I assumed it wasn't because there was no indication up until that point that this was telepathically start to fire. Although maybe that that is the implication, but and I assumed ben it had was come up with like the scientific explanation right. that her science kit had those chemicals that if you put them together they would start a fire, right? So right, and more interestingly is that she has the pool the pool cleaners in her uh, chemistry uh, right. set, but she also has like motor oil, which would like not be standard for traditional pyromaniac would have done her ex you know her uh, research and would know how to. Um, yeah, when we were kids, it was probably a challenge to be a pyromaniac, but kids today have Google. So <laughs> exactly, <yeah. laughs> exactly. We just had matches. We didn't know what to do, what we were doing. So, um, uh, <laughs> so old school pyromaniac. Exactly. Yeah, day, very limited. Match. Exactly. <laughs> you did a lot of kindling, a lot of kindling. But um, I don't know how to read that either. I mean, she seems to be legitimately a pyromaniac, right? And uh, But then does that mean, is she also, was there also something demonic involved? Or was she just a pyromaniac and her mother took the blame for her if we're supposed to read I it? definitely got the idea that her bio mom did take the blame for the right. fires. Right. I wasn't able to resolve on my own what was really going on there. Right. right. And then she was also one of those fertility clinic kids. Exactly. Correct? Right. And by so, the way, like, yeah, it seems like there definitely is some the demonic aspect to it. So maybe to your original question, maybe the gin moved on to, to Kristen. Kristen. And we did see, by the way, uh, in the previews this week, in the most recent episode, that the gin is back in um, yes. one of her visions. And so, and the gin may have been the one driving her to, not literally driving her, but compelling her to go pick up men. True. And and once again, just like a gin, the gin is just a mischievous character. So it yeah. would already be in her, in, you're right. So yeah. He would just be pushing her forward. Um, so yeah, so then I was thinking, so maybe there was a jinn involved, right? Who moved over to Kristen, but maybe there was something demonic also, because once again, it's not like this, uh, the revelation is just, they called in and they randomly show up at the house. This is a Leland who basically is trying to identify these demons, right? So this is, it's his clue that leads them to her. So maybe she might be one of these. Uh, well, it's in the codex, right? right. The, right? The code spells out the girl's name. Well, no, but remember what happens in the codex is that it's not, they're not transcribing the codex. They're transcribing Leland's notes hmm. and Leland is. Oh, I'm sorry. I think right? I missed that actually. Okay. Yeah. So Leland is noting. Oh, okay. Yeah. So gotcha, Leland gotcha. is writing characters on the thing. And then gotcha. David couldn't figure out what does this note mean? And then it was Andrea who was like, oh, each letter is. Different a, letters from different yeah. languages. So basically Leland. Gotcha. So I think what Leland was doing, and this is my, you know, this isn't explicit, but it's my supposition that Leland is basically looking at these different um, totems, these different um, uh, icons of these demons. Yeah. He's trying to figure out who they are. And then he's identifying some of them. And then he's yeah. trying to hide his notes. Like, and, Got it. Uh, and then okay. translating those notes because it would be very, I mean, like, I, I think, I think I'm correct in this because it would be incredibly dumb, by the way, that somehow this thousands of year old codex would have some girl's name <laughs> in English. I, yes, I didn't. Right? I was willing to buy into it, but I agree with you. I you know your way makes more sense. I just, you know, I had so many questions about the cocktail attire. I couldn't get caught up in the codex situation. <laughs> But, um, and don't forget, we also have the magical or demonic tea set that. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yes. Good point that. Yes, exactly. She has the same tea set as the pirate star. Yeah. So I guess like all the girls or maybe yeah, blues somehow, too, yeah, they all get they this all tea have set. Received that, the tea set that is the red demonic color. Right. right. Um, although I think the statute of limitations on that has run, right. The prophet from last year said avoid red for two weeks or something like that. But, um, <laughs> right. 
So, but nonetheless, they've all got the tea set. Kristen tries to destroy it by, well, not destroy it. She tries to just throw it away like a normal person would. Right. And then it reappears. Exactly. Trash. <laughs> exactly. So, and then she destroys it. Right. Am I remembering right? Um, so yeah, uh, there's, you know, some kind of tea set thread tying these girls together beyond the right. fact that, uh, you know, all the other stuff linking them. So yeah, I, I don't know what to make of the ending to get back to the original question. And it left me unsettled that I wasn't able to figure it out conclusively, to be honest. And hopefully they do flesh that out a little bit more. Like I don't yeah. like necessarily where they just like kind of leave everything open-ended. Like at the end of the episode, it's just kind of like, and you'll never know. It's like, well, no, exactly. we I mean, some of these things should uh, choose you know, your put, own ending. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They, they need to, some of these things have to tie up at some point, I hope. Yeah. All right. So on to this week's episode. So first of all, uh, this is a torn from the headlines type story, primarily around the whole uh, Eliza Lamb storyline, uh, which had a very popular documentary on Netflix, but it's a girl. Okay, uh, so I have yeah. no idea what you're talking about. This oh. is all new to me. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll include some uh, information here, but first of all, there is a South Korean, uh, like a meme that went viral about the elevator game and it was very similar you had to have a building it had to have 10 floors there was a code to it yada 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 and it was like one of these like candy man type like don't say candy man in the mirror three times urban legends which became very which have become i should say very popular on the internet right so every few years there's some hysteria where they're like you know something is happening on the internet that supposedly is making kids commit suicide or whatever and like i said these are mostly urban legends but some of these things are intentionally manufactured to go viral. But anyway, one of these things that have been what popularized a few years ago started in South Korea and it was one of these videos. It was supposed to be like 10 floors and there was a pattern to it, et cetera. And it had some circulation. It didn't go super viral on the internet, but it was somewhat um, uh, around for a few years actually. And then what happened was I think in 2015, I believe it was 2015, there was uh, a woman um, uh, called Eli uh, Eliza Lamb um, and, uh, and like I said, there's a whole documentary on this on Netflix, by the way, which is very, very popular recently. So you can just watch it there, but she was at a hotel in Los Angeles and there is a video footage of her stepping onto an elevator, pushing a button, stepping off. She's talking to someone in the hallway, but there's nobody on camera. And, uh, and then she disappears. Like she disappears from the video. Wow. Footage. I didn't hear about this at all. And this is the type of thing that is right up my alley. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you should just watch the raw video. It's very disturbing. Mm -hmm. And eventually she disappears from the footage on the video cameras and they can't find her anywhere. Uh, and then they had like a manhunt for her and they couldn't find her. And one month later, they found her. She had been, uh, she was in the uh, water uh, tank on the roof. She wow. had somehow fallen into the water tank. She was naked and uh, she couldn't get it back out and she had drowned inside the thing. tank. And people were like, this is the part of the running water in the house, in the building, by the way. So people like drinking uh... this. And that was part of the reason that the the, the maintenance oh people were called was people started having, I don't think the water's for drinking, but it's like for running the tubs and flushing the toilet. Yeah. People started yeah. smelling something. Smelling in the water. It. Uh... So anyway, so it's, you know, and all these people started all these conspiracy theories. But first of all, it turns out that she had a history of schizophrenia. So she probably had some okay. break. And second of all, is that they believed given her weird behavior of her, like, you know, acting as if someone had stepped onto the elevator and like moving to the side and then not making eye contact and just very weird behavior she had. They think she might have been playing the elevator game is basically what it came down to. And then that became an urban legend that she was playing the elevator game. And then of course this, you know, three, four, five-year-old meme suddenly exploded and everybody all over the world was playing the elevator game, right? 
So, uh, and that's what this is kind of the foundation gotcha. myth that is, uh, you know, undergirding this, this new episode of the show. So wow. That's, that's, your, no that's your history on that. <laughs> Interesting. The documentary came out in January and it's called Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. Okay. Hmm. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes, okay. but, um, and also to the videos on YouTube. So, uh, I mean, th this is pretty straightforward, right? This particular episode, I don't know how much more we need to, you know, I just gave you all that background. That's most of what I'm going to talk about this episode about, because beyond that we have, well, actually we have a parallel storyline, right? So we have David, um, yes. what's well building on the theme we had last week about kind of like dismissiveness that the church has. But in this particular case, he's trying to give a sermon about race and they're very dismissive about this going like, oh, you're going to alienate too many people. But don't like, forget, this is the result of a seed that Leland planted, right? Oh, yes, exactly. Yes. So, so Leland, this is part of know, Leland's. Like he, he's, this is the second time we've seen him try and get under David's skin somehow. The first time with the story about his fiance. I think it will continue that like he now has part of a group that he's joined mm -hmm. or, or he's attended at least this meeting. So I think that they, they will develop this going forward. So sure. I, I am curious to see how they try to continue to explore this. And like I said, there is actually a lot of positive things that the church did, especially with the abolition of, of um, uh, uh, slavery and stuff or abolition movement, I should say. Um, so, uh, so there, there is a probably rich, um, history that they can explore on both sides here. And I'm curious to see them actually, hopefully continue to pursue it. Uh, but that yet in the context of the show, more specifically, I do take Leland at his word. His mission is to basically to, uh, win them over to the dark side. And, mm -hmm. uh, I think he's feels like Kristen's well on her way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now, uh, you know, Ben, of course, is starting to have his own uh, mm -hmm. um, issues. Uh, we see him have a, we'll get around to that, but he has a rough week this week. And, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then of course, he, and like you said, he's planted these seeds in David's mind. And he, most urgently, he's focusing on David right now, because there's apparently, he has to keep David from um, becoming a priest which they said is in two months this week. And they said it last week too, that is in two months. So I guess this is almost, uh, these episodes are almost happening right. know, simultaneously at this point. So, Well, I just think it's interesting in terms of a broader question. And I, I don't want to give evil too much credit, I guess. I don't know how deep they're really trying to get, but right. you know, the idea of examining your life and your values and your choices and how much do you just accept without ever really examining it? Right. Because it's what you do, right? It's what everyone's always done. It's what you should do because that's how it's always been done. And then, you know, when you, for whatever reason, begin to examine things more closely, how quickly does some of that fall apart, you know, because it, it didn't ever really have a strong basis. You just accepted it as what was right. Um, so I think it's interesting from that perspective that like, can a seed of doubt really be, you know, planted so quickly like, I think it can in some right. situations, you know, that can really just dismantle your entire belief system if it comes at the right time in the right way. As critical as I am of some aspects of evil, I do think that the show does want to explore those things. And I'll uh, mention it right now, very briefly, the same creators of this show, the Kings, the, the two, mm -hmm. uh, the couple, they also write uh, The Good Fight. And on this very week of The Good Fight, it had an excellent episode. And to your point, you have people who are coming right out of law school. You have people who run their own law firm. You have people at all these different uh, levels. And they all basically have their ideals of what uh, the law should do. 
and they all basically realize in this one episode that like all the things that they want to have out of the, get from the law are not what they're getting. And the people who are basically kind of cynical about the use of the law are thriving and it makes them all think like, why did I do this at all? Right. And uh, mm-hmm. so I think that it is something that they are curious about, like you said, questioning, even at, uh, at any stage in your life, how you kind of just go with the flow because you just do the next thing and then the next thing. And at some point you have to ask yourself, but why am I doing this? Right. And, uh, right. and that, you know, mm-hmm. it's like this, that crisis of faith, whether it's in your career or your life choices yes. or your belief system, right. Whatever that happens to be. So that is something I think that is like a, they're a topic that they are legitimately mm-hmm, mm-hmm. interested in. But back to the plot, uh, we do see, unfortunately, very briefly, but I guess they're introducing her here. I do assume, assume we'll see more of her considering she is a pretty well-known TV actress. Um, we see uh, Vanessa come back to visit mm-hmm. Ben. And uh, it turns out Ben's been blowing her off for about the last month, but um, mm-hmm. maybe this will reignite. And maybe he'll, you know, <laughs> maybe the trauma he faces at the end of this episode will bring her back into his uh, into her, her arms. Yeah, maybe. But um, and basically, by the way, very, very bad uh, planning on his part that um, Ben is able to crack the code uh, in the elevator game. And it turns out he goes to an underground compartment under the hotel where he finds the original boy uh, and uh, this girl who both had played the elevator game and somehow it disappeared, you know, from the cameras. They no one knew where they went. And uh, it, it turns out they ended up in this underground part of the hotel and basically died there together. Apartment you know, building, right? Apartment it's not a hotel, yes, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. correct. Yeah. Apartment. You know, you're right. Yeah. It's you're, building. You're, tell, you're thinking of the real life story. <laughs> yes, exactly. I am. I yeah. am confusing mm-hmm. too. Yes, absolutely. It is an apartment <laughs> building. You're right. And uh, um, so basically they ended up down there, trapped alone and just like starved to death in the dark. It's just a horrible, horrible fate, right? Yeah, it is horrible. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Ben goes in there and he gets trapped. There's no way out. And uh, the button on the elevator no longer works because it's so old and no one goes down there. I mean, that's not a shocker. Why no. did he walk that far away from the elevator? Exactly. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is a very, very bad uh, idea. Whether you thought you were walking to the yeah. mouth of hell or just into some forgotten uh, storage space, you got to make sure that door is propped open. Like there's no way I'm going to walk yeah, in there. Yeah, there's no reason to think that button's going to work. <laughs> exactly. So uh, anyway, he walks in to this underground area and the doors close behind him and the elevator door, the button doesn't work. It's, uh, you know, uh, it, it's very old, obviously. And, and nobody goes down there. No one even knows this place exists. And uh, yeah, and he finds those corpses and then he basically just starts having a, a nervous breakdown. Uh, he doesn't have cell service down there or very poor cell service, which by the way, why not send text messages? <laughs> I was wondering the same thing. Because even with a little again, bit of internet, you could get just a yeah. tiny bit. You could get, and, I mean, don't get me wrong. If you write a big paragraph, it's never going to go through, but you could just like type something out like one word at a time and you have a whole yeah. week to put it out there if you want to. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I had the same question, you know, why not send a text message? Why be alone for the first yes. uh, just initially? Yeah. Why do this alone? But she does it alone too, by the way, right? Almost gets caught between two floors, right? So yes, as well. Uh, you know, but at least she doesn't get off the elevator. You true, know, with true. him, it's like if you've got any plan where you're gonna get off the elevator, you needed to have another person there. Exactly. Yeah, very, very bad planning on his part. And uh, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, people are cocky and dumb and do things like that, but you know, you gotta uh, whatever's down there. <laughs> call for backup like right away but anyway. yeah or maybe tell someone where you're going ahead of time like yeah, a lot yeah. of horror movie tropes here are kind of where you're yes. kind of just like 
very much like horror movie trope where you uh, uh exactly that where it's like it's horror movie logic right where it's like why would you do that yeah. mm -hmm. and you're like because <laughs> that's what people do in horror we movies. know ben's a smart guy right you know right. he's exactly. not a clueless guy he's very sharp so come on ben get it together but yeah bad planning on his part and he ends up down there and like i said that is truly horrific like the idea of being trapped down there like i mean that has got to be one of the worst ways to die is just to be like left yeah. like, like, forgotten oh my god yeah. yeah so that that is you know horrible and then of course they David and Kristen, you know, put their heads together and are able to crack this code and uh, they find him and, uh, and they get him out of there. And by the way, he also has another visitation by, by his succubus again. That's right. Who's, you know, it's been coming on like a regular on the show. Now she's there almost every week. What do you think is going to happen to him? He is maybe going to take things more in a super, supernatural direction possibly, but I do think that for sure he's going to like, kind of have like kind of a a reassessment of his life <laughs> choices at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can see when they finally do find him, his, uh, while he's been certainly upset and dismayed during this whole process, you know, the relief that hits him when he gets back into the elevator and the tears and, you know, all of that is unusual for Ben in what exactly. we've been seeing. Exactly. So we can see how much stress he was under and that he really believed he was going to die there. That was going to be the end. So, uh, yeah, it's certainly the type of thing that would prompt someone to reassess their life choices, right? So, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, um, but yeah, that's pretty scary. And he gets out of there, luckily. And um, yeah, so then now they kind of crack that code. This one doesn't seem to be, do you think there's anything supernatural in this particular case? I don't think I see anything supernatural here at all, right? No, just the question of what happens to Kristen, right? And whether that really was a hallucination when she got stuck between the floors and saw that myth come to life of the girl. I don't think it is anything supernatural that she, that, you know, like she's getting haunted or something because she didn't finish the game because it seems to be, there's too many weird things about it, right? It's like, you know, you, she hears this story. She sees exactly what's in the story, right? Um, yeah. Uh, she, uh, it, you know, she's playing the game correctly. She actually like basically intentionally stopped the elevator between two yeah. floors. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, it's almost like she did everything wrong. And then she sees this thing, which she was expecting okay. to see. And she's panicking at the moment. So it could be like the tension of it. The stress of it could obviously make her. I want to um, return again to Kristen's questionable parenting decisions. Yeah. In oh, taking the kids. those yes. three girls with her. Right. And this initial recon of the elevator situation. I mean, what is wrong with this lady? I am totally not a, uh, a believer either, right? But if mm -hmm. I put myself in Kristen's shoes and I, I don't have, uh, you know, I'm a skeptic, even if I'm 100% skeptical, like you said, with my kids, I don't care if Leland is paying people to, um, you know, put things into my house or create these supernatural seeming, whether it's supernatural or whether these are real human people who are pulling pranks on me and potentially endangering my life. <laughs> I don't want to drag my kids into this period. Right. Exactly. So she what? should be way, way more. Yeah, exactly. She should be way, way more careful. Yeah. So that kind of annoyed me about Kristen. I'm generally fairly neutral on her, but you know, some of her, like I've said before, you know, at times she seems overly cautious, but or are even appropriately cautious, but other times she just seems to be throwing caution to the wind. And I, I don't understand her decision-making flow chart as to when <laughs> right. she is willing to put her child at risk and when she is not, because it seems pretty random to me at this point. Also, just a complete aside here, but I think I speculate the building here 
uh, that was the subject of this episode was probably the Ansonia on the Upper West Side. Oh, I was going to ask which, you, right. I was going to ask you. If yeah, you, the which, you know, yeah. you and I have a friend uh, who used to live there. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, the floor of the lobby is extremely distinctive. Um, and it looks exactly like the floor of that lobby, although it's not a high rise building like they showed. But but then again, this building only had 14 floors or so. Right. right? That was right. part of the issue. So I think that the Ansonia probably has around that many floors. It's really a beautiful building. I just, um, you and I are talking pretty quickly after I saw the episode, but I just quickly Googled Ansonia haunted. And I think some people do believe it's haunted from my quick Google search results. Um, and it's just, it's definitely a piece of New York city history. It's a very distinctive building, like very well known. Um, and the name was something like a variation of Ansonia, right. That they gave it, it was like Ansolina or something like that. Right. Right. So, um, so just a bit of New York City trivia that I think it is based on an actual building. And the elevators there were kind of creepy from what I remember. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was curious to know what the uh, corollary was in the in the city. So I'm glad you called that out because I, I, I was thinking about it myself to do some research after the fact. Yeah. One of my hobbies whenever I watch a show that's set in New York City is trying to figure Try to out guess. where they're yeah. taking place and stuff like that. <laughs> right. um, Billions is a good one for that too. Just neither here nor there. But, um, <laughs> So the last thing I wanted to touch base with you, Sona, was discussing Steven Soderbergh's new movie, which went straight to HBO Max, um, as everything from Warner Brothers has been going straight to HBO Max, uh, although they do get theatrical releases normally. I don't think this one got a theatrical release, but the movie's called No Sudden Moves. I want to talk spoilers, so but uh, I want to start with just very high level, and then we can get into spoilers, because I think that really interesting uh, part of the conversation would require... Uh, spoilers. So I kind of alluded to this before with the other conversation. I get very stressed out when I feel like I'm not smart enough to understand mass media. Um, And this was one of those movies where I felt like I was crossing over from going along for the ride of a plot with twists and turns to maybe not fully grasping the twists and turns, which of course, you know, brings this to the end. But um, I did enjoy watching it. I enjoyed the actors. I thought they all did a great job. I mean, all very watchable people. I, I had questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's why I wanted to talk about it here. So I'll give you my, I'll give you my very brief uh, synopsis, and then we can go into spoilers. So, uh, and by the way, Joel enjoyed it very much as well. Um, he he really liked it. But even uh, he and I, when we were discussing the ending, had kind of drawn different conclusions about the ending. Although I'm pretty sure that I, I'm right about it. It's not that he drawed different conclu- He had drawn a different conclusion, but um, I think he had missed something about the ending that I pointed out to him and uh, it made sense to him. And I think I'm right about what really happened, but this is getting very vague without any spoilers. So let's just go. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll give you my real brief before we get into spoilers, because I think that's where most of this is going to come from but on positives and negatives as well. My general impression was I was totally, I love a movie that, you know, makes you do the work. And when I say makes you do the work, not is like, you know, solving a puzzle, do, do the work, although I like that too, but basically makes you do the work of understanding rather than having someone sit down and go like, that guy screwed me over out of $5,000. And no, I've been after I him. I understand. And, There's yeah. like a spoon feeding thing that yes. people do sometimes. And this is not a movie where you get spoon fed. I agree exactly. with that. Whole, and whole I whole like that they... <laughs> I like that you throw. I could have your, used maybe one spoon, but yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But but I think you won't. I think you wouldn't be critical of this part of it because I think I'm going to agree with what you're going to say. Is that what I did like that they um, um, you know did really well 
is that, you know, not spoon feeding, like you were mentioning, but it's this kind of like the hierarchy of the gangs in uh, the, the city yes. and who these people are to each other and how they know each other. And that I really like yes. just kind of like being just in, in a conversation. History. Exactly. Yeah. And having to understand who is this person in the context. And I really like that. So that int- that opening segment of the movie, I love that. That was like really By right the way, up my very alley. Very confusing to me also that the Gotham hotel was in Detroit. I thought part of the movie was taking place in New York city. <laughs> Um, I will say about this movie, and I'm sorry I'm interrupting you, but this is something I should have said up front. I did like the women characters in this movie. Yes. Uh, There were not that many of them, but, you know, I'm always looking for women to be like fully developed, real people with a lot to do in a movie. And this definitely satisfied that, that even in this era, which I'm not sure exactly what year it's supposed to take place in. but It's 54. uh, I actually took a a note because they have that placard at the beginning. So it's 1954. Okay, so there you go. So it's. You know, definitely the time of stay-at-home wives and stuff like yeah. that. And uh, and these women are like smart, sharp women with yeah. a plan and an agenda. And I like yep. that. Yeah, they all have an agenda. Yeah, which interesting. Like you said, they all, they have in a, I shouldn't say they have like an interiority because this movie, and this is actually pretty standard for Soderbergh's films. It's not like we spend a lot of time in people's heads. Like you're, you're just seeing them right. behave with each yes. other, but you suss out what their, their motivation. scheme is yeah. from their actions, basically. And yes. like you said, the women aren't just there like to cower in the corner. They have their own agenda the whole yeah. time. They're not which just is, plot devices. Yeah, exactly. And I like you said, I totally agree. And Amy Simons, by the way, who plays the um, uh, the, the wife. David, David Harbour. Harbour. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, um, she is actually not only a very talented actress, she's also a director and she's made oh, some okay. re- really interesting films, by the way, very strange films. She they're mostly horror movies, so you may not like them, but mm. <laughs> but they are uh, but they're very weird. They're very psychological, basically. But she's a very interesting actress and filmmaker as well that, like I said, I liked the kind of dropping us into it, like fly in the wall and just kind of figuring out everybody's uh, interactions and understanding their their motivations from their behavior around each other. And then uh, also, really, the movie culminates for me in that first third, maybe the first half, which is, and once again, we're full spoilers here, by the way, so definitely don't listen to any more anything else I'm going to say if you haven't watched the movie. But the whole thing that leads to that, almost like that home invasion uh, situation where, you know, David Harbour has to go back to work. He's great yes. in this, by the way. Uh, once yes. his storyline drops off, really, the, a lot of the energy of the movie disappears as well, to be honest. And uh, so uh, that is... Um, that whole part. And then also what's happening inside the house and, you know, who's going to double cross who. And, and, and it, you know, until, you know, Don Cheadle pulls the trigger, basically, that you think that this is going to go very, very badly for that family. Mm-hmm. And uh, that whole part is so tense, is so well done. That whole yes. first half of the movie is so strong. I think the rest of the movie, like you said, is not as interesting because you're so vested in what's happening and all that. Um, so, yeah. So structurally, you know, once basically that's the the culmination point where at that, that moment, everyone's kind of like in trouble now. Right. And, um, uh, and now the cover up begins and then we have to try to figure out, and this is Don Cheadle as being like a, a criminal and slash detective, right. It's like, it's like a film noir, right. Where he's the detective and the criminal also, <laughs> because mm-hmm. he now has to be like, who did this and why. Right. So he has to kind of unravel this mystery. And, uh, and he's very good in this. Everyone is Benicio del, del Toro is very good in it. Agreed. The women are very good in it, like yes. you said. Agreed. Everybody's very good. Ray Liotta has a small part, very good as well. So, yeah. Um, uh, Matt Damon. Yeah. Yes, of course. Matt Damon always has to do a cameo in every movie. I don't know what's mm-hmm. his whole career, a whole career of that apparently for him. And now as the double crosses are unraveled and unraveled, that plot-wise, 
the film becomes less interesting. And then the film, and this is another critique maybe of Soderbergh in general, what I really respect him for is that he always tries to bake in social issues into his films. But I feel <laughs> like when uh, the social, that those aspects of the story kind of take center stage, usually late in the movies, the other focus of the, like the plot suffers for it. Right. So, um, so I appreciate what he's trying to do, but I don't necessarily uh, think it, it benefits the material and the big social. So there's a couple of social issues that he's addressing here. One is he gives very, very light lip service to redlining, which if people mm -hmm, know the history mm -hmm. of redlining, it's mm -hmm. pretty shocking and crazy that we still, by the way, live under these laws. So it's pretty amazing mm -hmm. that the government has basically, you know, legislated racism as far as our housing policy goes to this day in many parts of this country. So that's something people should research, but this movie is not going to give you much history into that. Mm -hmm. Just brings it up, you know, this kind of mm -hmm. regentrification re uh, that's happening. But uh, the bigger issue is this, and they, once again, full spoilers here, everybody, the big payoff is that, uh, you know, Don Cheadle keeps increasing and increasing the amount of money that is required to, you know, exit this thing because he's trying to get to, he knows that if he keeps upping the price, then out of the woodwork is going to be the next guy in the chain and the next guy in the chain. So he's just trying to figure out where, what this game is. And what's interesting only in retrospect, by the way, I don't think it's interesting when you're watching it, but in understanding the film is this idea that all these guys are like, Hey, did, did, uh, is this guy doing it? Is Anthony doing it? Is this guy doing it? They're all trying to figure out who is pulling the strings. Who's this big shot because everybody doesn't trust each other, but they're playing one game. And it turns out the game is, this is like kind of an anti-capitalist, um, film because what it turns out the actual game is that the plans they're trying to sell these blueprints are for a catalytic converter and what yes. Soderbergh is trying to tell us you know historically is that there were all four car manufacturers yes. were in cahoots in keeping the catalytic converter technology from becoming uh known is that in the end big business wins they're playing a totally different game all these you know gangsters are shooting at each other killing each other and in the end, uh, John Hamm takes this briefcase full of cash, even more cash than he's supposed to, right? He hands it over to uh, Matt Damon, who makes a profit on this whole thing. And uh, and he's happy to get an $80 bottle of whiskey, right? Like he's, he's willing to take uh, just these pennies because in the end, that's the system, right? The system is that, yeah. you know, uh, and that's, by the way, the reason that Bill Duke, when he's like saying, hey, you're just going to leave this like $375,000 sitting here. And he says that money's too expensive because Bill Duke knows where that money's coming from. And he's just saying like, uh, like basically if you rob from another criminal, that's okay. <laughs> that's playing mm -hmm. by the rules. When you rob from a big business, you know, that then the FBI and everybody else is going to come after you. So he's like, Hey, I'm going to stay under the radar. I'm only going to steal a little bit of money. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, so that is the, 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 the bigger theme of the film. It's interesting that that's the bigger point he's trying to make how these bad, the, the, the big bad guys, the guys who control the system always get away with it. While all the little bad guys are, you know, we play cops and robbers, but then this like big level criminality, is uh, basically the, that's playing by the rules, right? That's those are the that's the, those are the rules of the game that um, everybody else has to abide by, and uh, it's like the, basically the system that oppresses everybody simultaneously. So I think that's what he's trying to convey. But like I said, this is something that's interesting to talk about retroactively. I don't think that as all this stuff is coming out in the plot, it makes the film more compelling to watch. I I get why you don't like the spoon feeding, and I agree with you for the most part. But I think there was so much going on here. 
they we could have used a throwaway line here and there to just sum up what had happened to make sure that we're keeping up with the plot. Like, so for example, one question I had was the hotel deal with Don Cheadle and okay. Benicio del Toro, Matt Damon. And the idea, right. Is that he's kind of sold this deal to two different people. Correct. Right. Right. While Matt Damon is doing their deal in the conference room, the other guy whose name I don't, actor I don't remember, but Naismith, something like Naismith is the character's name. He shows up because he's going to make a different deal for the same information, correct? And that deal is supposed to get done right after Matt Damon's deal, correct? So the the game of that is that the deal that Don Cheadle cut with Bill Duke is that, and unfortunately I'm using the actor's names. I don't remember. I'm terrible to remember characters' names. I do remember the actress' names, so I'll just use those. Wait, but are we talking about Matt Damon? Who's Bill Duke? Oh, no. Bill Duke is basically the guy who puts uh, Don Cheadle in his trunk at the end of the, the film. Oh, that was Watkins. Okay. Watkins, right. Right, yes. Watkins. So you're better with the character names. So Watkins, right. The deal he cut with him was, you know, and he's like, you know, how dare you even walk in here? He's like, I'm going to get you more money than, you know, you, you had before. And then Watkins, when he leaves, that, that's him saying that that other money is too expensive. But basically what it comes down to is he cut the deal. I think this is my interpretation, by the way, and this is not spoon fed to you at all. You're absolutely correct. Th- this is my theory of the case Okay. that he cuts the deal. He cuts the deal with um, Watkins to come in, to bust yes. in, that he's basically going to say like, there's going to be a guy in the lobby. Yes. So yeah, like, is, for example, okay. so, so Matt Damon, when he picks up the phone and Matt Damon is pretending to be uh, Neiman or whatever his name was. And then of course he, the phone rings downstairs and he says, tell him like, we'll be right down or whatever. That's when Matt Damon turns to him angrily be basically being like, you knew all along what, you know, what was happening here. And he's like, yep. Right. So anyway, so the point is the goal is to draw out uh, Neiman or whatever his name was with the bag of cash, which is his own stash, probably money that he's like scrolled away from, you know, other shady things he's done to pay back Watkins, Bill Duke's character, right? Uh, so that he's off the hook because that's the real, that's the real deal that's happening because That's I fine, think, but why do you need the Naismith deal in addition to that? Oh, no, he wanted, so the Naismith money, he they can keep. The Matt Damon money, they can't keep. I understand everything except for why he only took the $5,000 because to your point, I understand that, you know, the idea is draw out Matt Damon. If Matt Damon doesn't care, then all the other stuff, like, for example, if Matt Damon felt the hurt of the $125,000, right, indirectly, right, let's say for, through Naismith or whatever, that it still would matter. Matt Damon is not going to give a crap about anything else that happened because he got his briefcase back, right, which allows the $125,000 to go to Bill Duke, right? Which half of that, let's say, pays off the money that uh, he owes to Bill Duke, to to uh, Watkins, so that he can go off into the sunset to buy his land, plot of land. What I still do not understand, which I totally agree, is Watkins says, what do you want to do with your half? He's basically offering him half of the 125. Yeah. And he goes, that money's yours. I just want the 5,000. And that's the part I don't understand because- there's absolutely no reason after he's pulled this thing off that he can't put a little bit more in his own pocket, right? I just felt this all was a little unnecessarily complicated in yes, the yes. back third of the movie. I, I don't know. Like, you know, as I keep saying, I don't like it when I feel like I can't keep up. I feel like maybe it's trying to be a little bit too clever for itself. Yeah, and, and uh, that's where I uh, agree with what you're saying. First of all, Soderbergh loves to do this type of thing. Uh, so, you know, he did the Oceans movies. But to your point... 
but with those, the those movies, are like fun. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I, first of all, I agree that those are like much more lighthearted, but secondly, it's also like they do what they do not do here in this film, which is to uh, give you like that sudden like a montage of here's everybody. A little you know, summary. Here's how it happened. Here's yeah. how it all happened. Exactly. Like a little rewind. And and uh, an even more direct um, uh, example of this, because I think it's the same screenwriter also is uh, Steven Soderbergh made a movie for Netflix last year, which I recommend. This is one of my recommendations here. I'll just throw it out there and then maybe we'll do your recommendations and wrap up. But here's my recommendation on Netflix is a Steven Soderbergh movie from last year called um, High Flying Bird. Did you guys see this? No, I think I've heard of it though. So it's about an NBA agent and this NBA agent, um, uh, basically uh, the NBA uh, goes on um, like strike. And uh, everything, everybody freaks out because the agents are not getting paid and this is whole thing. And what he does is he basically starts to reach out to all of his NBA players and he starts to create fake, these superstar NBA players playing as if they just met each other randomly and they start like facing off and playing one-on-one and two-on-two and then five-on-five like in on a- oh, that's uh, funny. On, and, uh, and he starts putting them, like he lets these videos go viral. And what he's doing is, and it, it, slight spoilers here because it's very interesting to watch, is it turns out you seem like you're watching somebody who's just like kind of trying to save his job as an agent. But what he's actually doing is he's trying to like hijack the entire NBA, basically saying the players actually have all the power because the players are superstars. And if they start playing- well, Yeah, there's a talent without them. What do you have, Exactly. Right? So all of a sudden, if they start having games- where they can like who play needs the organization. Who needs yeah. exactly? And the NBA starts freaking out. And what it turns out is it's like a very shaggy dog story because you think you're watching somebody who's just trying to like tread water and keep his head above water. And then it's revealed late in the game, and I won't tell you how, that this is all basically another heist movie, right? And it is very, very cool. And I do not think this movie gets enough respect. I think hmm. A, it raises very, very interesting. Uh, uh, no one talks about this either. It raises. The questions of, for example, black players in historically in these uh, professions. Oh, don't get me started. I have so <laughs> many opinions about this. You're really treating oh. people property. It's disgusting. Oh. But anyway, it, it is literally <laughs> there is literally a whole diatribe on this. Zazie yeah. Beats, I believe, uh, is the actress who has a whole diatribe with this guy right out of uh, college and is explained it. Like he's like, I'm so happy. I'm so lucky to have this opportunity. And she's like, really? And she like breaks it all down the finances of this of the way yeah. this industry works. It's insane. And, People anyway, becoming rich off the backs of uh, it. Don't get me started. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, you should you should literally watch this movie because it literally ends. It literally ends. The movie uh, ends on a shot that basically is like uh, saying like, "Hey, NBA players, professional players, the world rise up!" Like it literally is a rally call. It's great, and I really think people should watch it. It's better than uh, this movie in a very different context. Yes. And like I said, you really have to hang in there because you don't. And so it works in two levels. One, it's very socially conscious. Once again, Soderbergh loves putting social topics into his movies. Uh, it's much more succinct and strong in its message. I think it's it, it correlates more to what you see happening all the time today. And I think, and this is, I, I know people have negative opinions about this movie, some critics, I should say, because they say it's too confused. I think the reveal at the end of how this whole thing got pulled off is great. 
And the reason I bring it up in this context is they do the whole little like, here's what happened in Uh between this scene and this scene that you didn't see. Here's Uh the conversation that you didn't hear. Here's Zazie Beetz staying behind. What was she doing in that room after everybody left? Right. And it tells you the whole it shows you the whole entire. Yeah. uh, See, I think there's something to be said for that because it gives you the little bridge to put it together and it's exciting to see it and realize oh yes. that's the piece that was missing yes. you know and like I, when you're putting I loved it. like you're putting a puzzle together and you find that missing exactly. piece right like aha yeah. so and, and that's the most fun part about it is that when you're watching it even me telling you all this when you're watching it you're like oh i see what his game is and then when you get to the end you're like oh man i didn't even see that part of it but it's like it's yeah. just all laid out it's very clever it's really good so i recommend that highly for, for the social context but also just it's a lot of fun i think it's like a like i said i try to tell people oh have you watched that it's a heist movie and people go what <laughs> i'm like no it's a heist movie it's just like a very different kind of heist but it's a heist movie right so, yeah yeah so that's my recommendation high flying bird steven soderbergh netflix still available on netflix for free so check it out it's very good did cool. you have a recommendation in a whole other direction and okay. recommend a disney movie okay <laughs> which is uh it came out just a couple of weeks ago it's called luca And Mm -hmm. have you seen it? Yes, we have. So sweet, right? Mm -hmm. Like really, really sweet, really solid movie um, about friendship and perhaps some deeper themes. I think there's some speculation regarding whether it's, um, you know, kind of a way to talk about homosexuality for kids as well. But um, I really beautifully done, really great plot line. I mean, and really, honestly, I am not one for animated movies whatsoever, but this one, like really, it just sucks you in with, mm-hmm. with the setting, with the characters, with its sweetness. Um, and I, I am also not one to easily uh, cry at movies, but this one at the end, I did tear up because it just was like really, really nice. Um, and also now we've basically been watching Luca every day since it came out. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But but it holds up. <laughs> I will. I, I, so I'll give you my mini review of that as well because I've seen it. It's a Pixar movie, like all the Pixar movies have been going straight to. I don't know if you ever saw Soul. Did you see Soul when that came? I out? only saw like the last twenty minutes of Soul, but Joel did watch it and loved it. Yes, I, I actually prefer Soul as more like in the lines of that kind of like highbrow Pixar. This is, I think, much more low key Pixar, which I'm totally fine with. But it, it's going to lead to a, yet another uh, recommendation I'm going to make for you. There is a section on HBO Max that's called Studio Ghibli or Studio Ghibli. I don't mm-hmm, know how you pronounce mm-hmm. that, but it is animation studio in Japan. And Pixar has been very influenced by his work. And so that, now there are some of those movies that are very, very dark and uh, only for teenagers, I would say. But there's some that are uh, very much marketed towards younger children and like Ponyo's one. And um, uh, My Neighbor Totoro is a great one, by the way. Uh, Charlotte loves that one. But it's like, uh, but what I would say is they're also very gentle. They're all, and I think that's where this thematically comes in there. They are very much just thematically, almost always just about friendship. It's between Mm -hmm. friendships of children, Mm -hmm. but it could also be like two sisters or two brothers, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that very much this is, it, it really, really feels like, a um a studio ghibli film mm-hmm. so uh in general if you haven't seen all those films uh like i said definitely check the ratings because some of them are like uh, uh princess mononoke for example and Howl's movie castle uh have like war footage in it and like mm-hmm. uh, there's like a, a great but anyway yeah i'm glad you like luca and i hope that becomes like uh, a lot of reviews have kind of mentioned this connection to um uh studio ghibli and i do hope mm-hmm. it expands uh, people's interest in those films as well because they're really really great 
that's a lot of uh, historical information there, mm -hmm. but I'm glad you liked Luca. And it does very much pay homage back to, the, to the, those other films as well. Yeah, yeah I loved it. I, I just think it's so sweet. And also I will say like, you know, one of the things we're struggling with at this age of, of four for my son is that, you know, we're not ready to deal with some heavier themes yet. Yeah, uh, we yeah. just don't think it's time. And a lot of these animated movies have surprisedly like dark plot points. So, Especially Pixar know. movies, by the way, Pixar movies yeah. almost always deal with, I mean, a perfect example of that is soul is, you know, deals with the afterlife. Like Charlotte had a lot of exactly. questions about, about that after she saw it. Right. So exactly. It and, is a, yeah. and listen for right or wrong, I'm not ready. So, <laughs> right, you right. know, this one is like, it's just so sweet and pure. And like, there isn't really, um, it deals with deeper things of like, will people understand who you really are and being true to yourself. And yeah. like, a, there's like very sweet thing about like silencing negative self-talk in your head yeah. with Silencio Bruno. Like, <laughs> right. I, I mean, it deals with important things, but it, there aren't those um, dark plot points that you have to worry about as a parent that like, okay, let's have a conversation about this now. So, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like exactly. it's a very nice movie to just, you can put it on and walk away and know that it's all going to be okay. <laughs> all right, cool. This was fun. We caught up on our both episodes and we got a lot of yep. other conversations in there too. So very cool. And we'll see, hopefully the next uh, episode's another interesting one and we'll have lots to talk about. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye.